वेलकम टू सिंह टॉक दिन टॉक अराउंड द टेबल टूडे डिस्कस द इंस्टेबिलिटी ऑफ इक्विलिब्रिया थिंक अबाउट इक्विलिब्रियम एज अ कॉन्सेप्ट यूजिंग आइडियाज फ्रॉम फिजिक्स मैथमेटिक्स इकोनॉमिक्स इकोलॉजी एंड मे बी फिलोसफी will wonder why some systems tend towards equilibrium what does it mean to be far from equilibrium what is the role of initial states and in perturbations can systems have multiple equilibria is instability unavoidable what are the conditions for chaos and stability why isn't the price of everyday goods chaotic Are predator-prey systems usually in equilibria? Which changes are gradual and which discontinuous? How can we understand and predict change, and what is the future of the idea of equilibrium? We are pleased and privileged to have three Saint Talkers with us here today. Dr. Steerth Day. Who's a scientist at ISR in Pune? Professor Deepak Dhar, who's a scientist uh, working in TIFR Mumbai. And Professor Anjan Mukherjee, who's a retired professor of economics uh, from JNU, New Delhi. Deepak, why don't we set the ball rolling with you? Um, to ask what what has equilibrium come to mean to you, uh, and I, I want to distinguish that question from what is equilibrium. Uh, what has it come to mean to you as you've thought about it okay. over the years? So let us start with something which I'm more familiar with, like physical systems, as opposed to economic systems or ecological systems or social systems. Sure. So you take some simple system, you leave it for a while, then after some time it goes into a state which does not change with time too much. Mm-hmm. That is called the system has reached some kind of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So with equilibrium, there is an implicit notion of time scales. so mm-hmm. some things reach equilibrium at some time scale there are some processes which are slow processes which are operating at scales much longer than this time scale mm-hmm. and there are fast processes which occur at much smaller scale mm-hmm. and equilibrium is attained when the fast processes have done their job and the slow processes have not started oh mm-hmm. what do you mean okay so i give an example suppose you take a cup of tea hot tea Right. You leave it on the table. After some fifteen twenty minutes, the temperature becomes more or less constant. It doesn't change much with time. Right. So the system now has reached some kind of equilibrium with the surrounding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you come, if you wait for much longer, like two days, mm-hmm. then the system will not be in equilibrium because the tea also will start evaporating, and you will be left with much less than before. So what we say is that after a few minutes, the system reaches the. So in this case, the process of cooling mm-hmm. is the shorter process. Right. The process it, of evaporating is the longer process. Right. The way you so that is right. a slower so process. That is right. Rather. So slower and are, faster. Hmm. These are examples. So and do all systems tend towards equilibrium? And for a second, let's talk about physical systems. Yes. Do all physical systems tend towards equilibrium, and why? So again, it you have to tell at what time scale. So by definition, mm-hmm. at each time scale, the system would have reached equilibrium with respect to faster processes and not with respect to smaller, slower processes. Mm-hmm. So as a good example, suppose you take a hydrogen gas in a box. Right. Then it is you know once it you started with lot of stirring, mm-hmm. but after a while if you it's a closed box then things die down it becomes nice and steady place mm-hmm. in some kind of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. But if you wait for much much longer then the 
hydrogen atoms will combine to form helium and that is a state of much lower free energy mm. okay but that process is so slow that it doesn't occur on reasonable time scales we say the system is in equilibrium but does it always happen over very long time scales like two hydrogen atoms left with each other in a closed system within quotes so would they always become helium in the next 1 million years not million maybe billion but it, it, there is a theoretical understanding which says that eventually it should happen right right so some processes are very very slow some processes are not so slow so for example you know you can take a bar of iron it rusts there is a chemical process which is not in equilibrium but over a time scale of one day or two day i can ignore the rusting process mm Mm. so now mm. just to point out if i can take the same thing in social sciences so you take a society all kinds of things are happening but if i come back after a month things look about the same mm-hmm. but if i come back after 30 years maybe they won't look the same mm-hmm. so there is some kind of equilibrium at short time scales which is not present at longer time scales Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure. Then does this make sense to you? I mean, what is? Uh, I'm, I'm clearly we have to be careful about using the word equilibrium more or less. Yeah, the same sense. I I think you see what uh, Deepak, if I may call you that, yeah. is talking about is equilibrium as a position from which there is no change. Now, no change measured in what time scale? in small time scale no change that's an equilibrium but there may not be very much of a change even in a somewhat longer time scale in economics yeah we use the term equilibrium somewhat differently mm-hmm. um it is not defined with respect to a process of change it's tried to define equilibrium as a balance rather than as uh, no change so balance in the no sense no change you saying that the, the 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 time dimension is not the most important i know what I well mean? there is there is a time dimension but uh, that comes up somewhat uh, how shall i say somewhat later in the description of things okay now first when we talk about uh, equilibrium we mean as a as a balance let's say between demand and supply right they balance what does that mean it means that whoever wishes to purchase has a seller from which it may be purchased the purchased. goods or the commodity right. may be right. purchased hmm. a service may be given mm-hmm. okay now the thing to note here is that we will define the notion of change only when the balance does not occur so the question is what happens when there is no balance and what do you mean by balance um demand like, equal supply is demand a balance demand equal supply yes so a case That's, of no surplus demand and no surplus supply right and how would you it, know that the demand is match supply yeah we if you want to buy you can buy if you go to the market you want to buy something at that point there's someone willing to sell mm-hmm. so long as you keep on doing this at that price mm-hmm. then that's equilibrium mm-hmm. you so know all that all plans are met all plans are met mm. so basically a more comprehensive definition mm-hmm. of equilibrium in economics would be as a configuration or uh, a situation mm-hmm. where all decision makers can carry out whatever their decisions are all right now this may vary from description to description mm-hmm. but the uh, notion of equilibrium is uh, is really very basic therefore to whatever construct you may have built up and and from a from an economic standpoint is this notion of equilibrium has this been steady for the last 100 200 years 20 years or are there subtle or radical changes in the way one thinks of that you at all you see uh, people talked 
you know, in economics, we have been rather uh, slipshod. So we have not really talked about things like in clearly defined ways. People talked about equilibrium. See, the thing that I have always told my students is the problem with economics is that we use the English language and the words have a meaning and people pick up that meaning right. and use it like that. Right. But uh, I think uh, for many, many years, people talked about equilibrium and only in the... Uh, 1950s or 1950s -hmm. that you had a first formal approach to defining things of what is an equilibrium and try to show what are the constructs under which all these things would happen. Who's this? Like, are there a bunch of people who kind of brought it together? Three people. uh, Arrow, Debrew, so the Arrow Debrew model kind of Arrow Debrew and McKinsey. McKinsey. Including McKinsey. Including McKinsey. Which he must, which he should. You yeah. have to mention McKinsey because he was my teacher. Yeah. That was number one. <laughs> and secondly, because uh, the world did him an injustice. Sure. Because they didn't recognize what he had done. So that's another story. But I sure. think we can sure. keep it for another day. Sure. We'll get back to that. I think we are opening up a few flanks. Uh, over to you, Sutirth. Is uh, we, we've thought of the cup of tea cooling down and slow and fast processes in some sort of a inflection point, some zone there. We've thought of prices. What is equilibrium for you? What is equilibrium in biological systems? Um, how, how would you come at it generally and we'll make it crispier as we go? Right. So, in biology, we do recognize that, you know, stability or equilibrium can be at different scales, time scales, as uh, Deepak pointed out. Uh, however, this notion that it's always the first fast processes, you know, doing their job fast, uh, first fast and... Fast comes first and slow comes next. Exactly. So, it doesn't really work that way all the time. So, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. you know, you take, let's say, temperature, daily temperature. Right. So, if you look at the daily recordings they fluctuate quite a bit. Yeah. But if you take the means, let's say the decade-long means, yeah. they are going to be at an equilibrium, roughly speaking. And when you more say equilibrium, less. here you mean stable. Here I mean, mean stable. Mean variance being Exactly. Whatever. Very, very small variation. Okay. Sure. So sometimes, you know, at the longer time scales can have an equilibrium, and here I mean a point equilibrium, as opposed to the shorter time scales. So that's one. Second thing is that most biological systems are stochastic, particularly the ecological ones. And when you say stochastic, I in mean what to say that there's a lot of noise involved in it. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, even if theoretically there exists a point equilibrium, in practice you never see a point equilibrium. And like for an organism, what does it mean to be in equilibrium? For what does it mean at all? For an organism, again, see, equilibrium has to be defined in the context of a particular property. Okay. So, say, for example, you can think in terms of the temperature of the organism, if you're looking at so the, the body organism, temperature. The body temperature. Right. Or if you're looking at a population, you can think of it in terms of its size or biomass. How mm. does the population number change over time? Or how does the population biomass change over time? Mm. In terms of a community, you can think of it as uh, the composition. How many species are there? Which species are there? And so on. Mm-hmm. So... Due to the inherent noisiness of biological systems, it's often very difficult for us to come up with a value for equilibrium. So what we really look at is, you know, let's say a small cloud kind of a stuff, whether it is uh, fluctuating too much or whether it is fluctuating less. Right. Okay. And whichever, and that's why more than equilibrium, particularly when it comes to ecological systems, where, Mm. you know, there is a lot more openness to the system. There... Typically, it is the stability, as in, you know, how much it changes over time, which is a bit more important than, per se, a value of an equilibrium. However, Mm. when it comes down to physiological systems, let's say inside the body of a homeotherm, where things are a lot more controlled, where there are a lot more processes which are interacting with each other, in that case, it becomes, uh, you know, it comes closer to the notion of a point equilibrium. Sure, sure. And Deepak, would you would you say that if one has to think of equilibrium, one has to think of it in the context of one property? No, I think usually 
one thinks of systems which have many degrees of freedom, lots of different people buying and selling all kinds of stuff, or sure. in my case, lots of gas molecules roaming around. Sure. So in equilibrium, there is a lot of dynamical processes which occur. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of fluctuations which occur. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody from, uh, you can monitor a large number of variables, mm -hmm. but somebody from outside says to me, this looks the same as yesterday. Right. Which involves some perspective and some selection, filtering of the observables you are watching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if to me they look about the same, then it's about the same. I look at a river today and after two days it looks about the same. Then I say this system looks similar. And so the river flow is sort of like in equilibrium at this time scale. However, you know, if some big flood is occurring, then it will look different. And, and and can you make the distinction between stable and unstable equilibrium? Like why why does unstable equilibrium exist at all? Like what are the conditions for huh. unstable equilibrium to come to be? Okay, and can so, the same system be in stable as well as unstable equilibrium? Yeah, so you can have a system which is in some state for a while, mm -hmm. let us say 10 years, mm -hmm. but it doesn't stay there forever. So after 10 years, it goes into a different state. What do you have in mind, such as what? Okay, so for example, the most sort of prominent systems one can think of are things like dinosaur extinctions. So mm -hmm. for a long time, it, they were as a very stable system, ecological overall niche. Some species keep on dying, but overall it was stable for a very long while. Then all of a sudden something happened and all kinds of anim big animals died and some totally new to kinds to of animals took over. Is, is it, I mean, you say, are you referring to punctuated this equilibrium? This is called the punctuated equilibrium. So from one equilibrium state, you jump to another equilibrium state on a much shorter time scale. Uh, Let's bring in some nuance there. What's happening? Yeah, see, when, as I said, biologists typically look in terms of stability rather than equilibrium. And we tend to dif you know, differentiate between different kinds of stability properties. So three major stability properties, and there are many more, but the three major ones are what we call constancy, persistence, and resilience. So constancy is essentially staying unchanged over time. So if the variance is very, very low, then we say that it has a high constancy stability. The dinosaur example that you just gave is what we call a persistence stability problem. So if you have, let's say, two populations, one of them has a much higher chance of going extinct, then that has a lower persistence stability. And then you have the third kind of stability, which we call the resilience stability, which is closer to the mathematician's or the physicist's definition of a stability, which is if it is already at some equilibrium and somehow you perturb it a bit, how fast can it come back, whether it can come back at all or not. So the dinosaur example, actually, we will not even consider it too much in the context of even persistent stability because if you take the meteorite theory properly, then it's a one-off event. It's a, you know something that is happening outside the system which is causing the population to go extinct. So we wouldn't probably even put it uh, as a persistent stability problem. We'll probably be happier putting it as a contingency so that extinction has nothing to do with the system per se. Exactly. It's an it's external it's perturbation that just happened because of chance. Hmm. 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 And, and, and do all biological systems tend towards equilibrium? What's the tendency? Hard to say. Okay. E ecological systems? Okay, let me put it you know, properly. Sure. Again, what exactly is equilibrium? If you are talking about whether all biological systems tend to go towards one stable point with some amount of noise around it, answer is no. So, for example, take you know all these prey predator systems; they tend to oscillate. I'm not. Oh, they oscillate. They oscillate, irrespective of human intervention or conflict. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The classic study by you know Charles Elton, which is where modern ecology begins, is this famous lynx hair, you know, oscillations. Mm -hmm. What and happens there? So basically what happens is uh, there was this company called Hudson Bay Company mm -hmm. and they used to buy furs from the local trappers. Sure. So they kept records for a very, very long time, about 100 years or so. Sure. And people looked at those records and they took that as proxy for population sizes of hares, which was the prey, and lynx, which were the predator. 
Sure. And when you plot it against time, you see very nice regular oscillations with a nice phase difference. So first the lynx population, the hare population goes up, and then after some time, the time lag, the lynx population starts going up. When that goes up, they eat the hares. The hare population crashes. After some time, the lynx and population. And this has crashes. nothing to do with the Hudson Company. This hasn't got anything. Okay. You, you know what I mean. I, I, I because see. Because does it yeah. have something to do with the fact that someone's hunting them? In, in this or? particular case, I mean, there is a you know confounding effect. Sure. But there are many more such examples. You mm-hmm. know, red grouses and uh, many many such examples where people have documented very regular oscillations mm-hmm. in uh, population sizes without any human intervention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And have there been occasions when, again, taking the anthropocentric position out of it entirely? System, I mean, biological species go extinct naturally. They of do. course, biological all the time. species go exactly all the time. Exactly. Interesting. That's so interesting. only the point mm. that we look at as biologists is what is the probability of a particular species going extinct, given mm-hmm. whatever its biology is, given whatever its environment is. Mm. Okay, and that is the context in which persistent stability comes into picture. Mm. So there are mm. some populations which are more likely to go extinct. Mm. Mm-hmm. And from in, in in economics and in the notion of prices and so on and so forth, is stability desirable? And I know Sutirth is constantly trying to bring in the word stability, at least put it park it next to it equilibrium. Is, it is highly desirable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, the reason is that in economics, we are not satisfied with the equilibrium itself. Mm-hmm. The equilibrium would determine a set of things, like let's say prices, for example, at which all demands and supplies are met. Mm-hmm. But that's the end of it. So you would like to know that what happens when there is a change? How does the equilibrium price change? That is a much more meaningful question. Right. To economists, whether it is meaningful or should be meaningful or not is, let's no, it is, say, it is, set it. it is meaningful per se. Yeah. Mm. But to answer that, you need to know whether the equilibrium is stable or not. Mm-hmm. How do you know that? Uh, whether what you, does it mean for price to be in stable equilibrium? No, 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 not price to be stable. You need the system. You see, you need several things. You need, for instance. What happens when there is a change? Suddenly the price at which demand and supply cleared cleared is no longer the price at which demand and supply cleared. So what happens? What gives? Now, traditionally, the adjustment or the uh dynamics that is triggered off is that well if there is demand is more than supply then the price should rise people who want that commodity or service more they bid the price up sure so the question is does that tend to equilibrium and the answer is well it depends mm-hmm uh, for a long time, people thought that we don't have a very satisfactory answer to this question. Mm-hmm. It may be stable or it may not be stable. So people just gave it up. In fact, I think in 1990s, there was a 50th year of that Arrow Debro McKinsey, the yep. result being presented in France and Edmund Malinvaux who's uh, the premier French economist mm-hmm. he said what is the failure of this general equilibrium theory this this equilibrium looking at the equilibrium of everything together mm-hmm. and he said that the stability we have not been able to find a satisfactory answer to it mm-hmm. Not only that, there are some people who constructed fairly meaningful classroom examples of economies which would be unstable. That is, the equilibrium would never be attained. Now, if that were to happen, then those models, although they were quite meaningful, I mean, they were not being asked to do something silly, but they were not viable because the equilibrium would never be attained. 
And equilibrium being not being attained means that demand would not clear supply. Is uh, and people would not be able to purchase things that they wish. People would not be able to sell things what they wish. All kinds of problems would arise. Mm-hmm. So the question then was that how do you handle such? Now there is a literature which can, in fact, started developing, which uh, we did not talk about. Uh, which is the first time that empiric, uh, experimental stuff got into economics, and yep. this this was in the late nineties. This is Scarf and others. Or? No, this is Charlie Plot. Plot, sure. Hmm. Plot in Caltech, hmm. Hmm. and he started performing experiments uh, with uh, various people being given certain kinds of uh, goods and certain kinds of tastes. So this is experimental economics. Yeah. And they found that whatever the theory was predicting, exactly the same thing the experiments were giving, the average result. You know, I, I quite liked what you said on the average. Because I think in some sense, we are always talking about the average. Yes. I think I, I I don't think we are talking about uh, you know an absolute single price that we are coming to, but if we find that on an average today's price is exactly like yesterday's price, you are more or less sure that that's equilibrium. There may be a slight fluctuation, maybe there was some miscalculation uh, or something like that, but that was a minor aberration. It's only when you suddenly find the Sensex prices, for example, falling suddenly by 280 points. Actually, more, 800 points. Oh, it fell the other day. So now, then you need to ask what is happening, right? What triggered off that? But uh, that is that is still a financial good, and uh, in in, in, yes. in the context of market goods, uh, but, physical but, but, goods, uh, can me, it be chaotic? Yeah, of course. It can be chaotic. Of course. Price one I, day I must tell indistinguishable you this. from I, the I next. I must tell you this. Uh, uh, you know, there was a time when I was uh, spending a year in Japan, mm. and in Japan, since I didn't speak the language, I had lots of time on my hands. And so what I started doing was plotting the Japanese yen versus the U.S. dollar. Now, you just plotted it over a month or two months, and then I noticed an amazing thing. There is something called uh, the Lee-York triple in chaos theory, which uh, means that uh, you have iterates, let's say, xt, xt plus 1, xt plus 2, such that xt is greater than xt plus 1, which is greater than xt plus 2, but xt plus 3 is greater than xt. So it's been a complete switch around. If that happens, that introduces chaos. Now, exactly the same thing was so that entire dynamics of the uh, yen versus the US dollar. Do- dollar was chaotic. Now, I, was, I gave this talk in a Japanese university and people were very angry because they didn't understand the word chaos. And they thought that it was a derogatory reference to the Japanese yen. Oh, so I said, by the way, I'm, I'm not making any kind of derogatory statement. That's it's fine. just that, that this is what ha- happening. It's interesting. Or, I think it's the, yeah. Anjan, uh, I had a question in this yeah. context. So when you say that this equilibrium between supply and demand is desirable, that I assume is a theoretical construct. But yes. in practice... Is there an equilibrium or some kind of equilibrium-like thing between supply or demand or is it going all over the place all the time? No, it's not going all over the place because if it were going all over the place, then the price would fluctuate quite a bit. Okay. The price, the fact that the prices don't fluctuate hmm. means that uh, 
it's not going all over the place. But isn't that because of a lot of economic regulations that have been put in place exactly to block these kind of fluctuations? No, but they're, they're totally free markets in several goods. No, where, in fact, you see, huh. it this could have happened in huh. early times because you see one thing that you have to acknowledge is that over the years, the economic systems of all countries are more or less the same. You know, we all have a, a kind of a free market. Some markets are regulated, right? I mean, for instance, market for drugs. We don't allow that to operate. Some sub-markets are regulated. Yeah, it's only some, but not all. Now, is there is there a problem there between this notion yes. of uh, partial is... equilibrium and general equilibrium? No, you see, partial equilibrium is something. You see, suppose for some. But how reason, does one deal with regulations in sub-markets in in a market which is expected or believed or? Well, depends on what you wish to do. Mm-hmm. You see, if you are wanting to study, let's say, sad, sad today, for instance, India imports a lot of oil. And we want to find out what the oil market is like. So what do we do? We assume everything else for the remain for the moment to be not creating any problem, fixed. Yes. And then we look at the oil market. That's partial equilibrium. Yeah. But it's fraught with a lot of danger because the oil market is also going to be influencing a lot of other markets. It interacts with the others. It could be an input yeah, good. It, it, it could, it be, could yeah. be. It could be all kinds of things. Yes. So therefore, uh, it's not an approach which you should uh, do. Uh, is it possible, Anjan? Let me ask you a different question. Is it possible in an economy, in a market economy, for only one good out of, let's say, 200, just making it up, it's a textbook case, only one good to be out of equilibrium? Theoretically, no. You a, see, a, an equilibrium in, in one market... Mm-hmm has to be balanced by a disequilibrium in the other in another market. See, there's something called Walras Law. Yes, that's the Walras Law. Mm. The Walras Law says that if at this price you evaluate all the differences between demand and supply, then net out. Not necessarily equilibrium, but at any price. Now... Whether the Walras law holds or not depends on... See, it's a very complicated thing if you were to ask me. Sure. <laughs> if you were to ask me what is going to happen, well, I don't know. But for the time being, suppose we can't take loans and stuff. Yeah, that if is, there were no credit. Uh, we, no, no, no. The, what I meant is that you can't uh, spend more than what you earn. Yeah, yeah. Suppose you can't. If it was then, a cash market and not a credit market in any way, without any. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. there was no credit market, then this would happen. Okay. Okay. So that okay. we we were uh, basically then everything aggregates. Is out. there an equivalent of that in your world? Is there an equivalent uh, of can only one species no, no, be no, out of no, the No, no, no. That would not happen. I can answer that for him. <laughs> I, I can tell you why that won't happen, and that is because they don't have a thing like a budget constraint operating. There must be energy. Hmm. What? But I'll try to answer that question when I, once I really understand what's going on over here. Huh. So, for example, you said theoretically it is not possible. But in reality, in practical world, is it possible? Yeah, yeah, it's possible if you can take credits. Because, you see, then you can spend more than what you earn. Okay. Then these, these things are possible. See, in fact, that would take me into some other dimension, which I don't want to go in. But I'll come back to it. If you, Why don't we bring it up and then we'll go elsewhere? What is that dimension? Just you see, bring it the up. The problem that happens is that this is precisely where the difficulties with financial crashes and other things would creep in when you allow for credits. Mm-hmm. See, the kind of credits that you allow for, mm-hmm. actually, what does it mean? If I spend more than what I earn, what do you have? What I have. I mean, am I getting a free lunch or have I to pay it back? Now, am I able to pay it back? You see, most of the time when you, what you had during the 2008, the financial crisis that happened in the US, what happened? Lots of people bought houses with credit 
without making any that's fine okay yeah, yeah. so that's what happened sure sure so sure. that's precisely what may happen now sure sure so so allowing for credit without actually going into these things so that's why i didn't want to get into this because that is is there is there a way deepak of thinking about uh, so as of now we're talking of somewhat black box systems one cup of tea in an environment in one system obviously the world is more complex than that and there are all sorts of systems interacting with each other is there something interesting there with many systems coexisting interacting with each other and is there a way of drawing parallels to say that so you've just asked this question of anjan theoretically or practically is there a way in which only one sub market could be in disequilibrium while the others are all in equilibrium is, is does does this question carry into your world at all does it have any meaning well for example you know if you look at the price of airplanes war airplanes sure i don't think anybody can argue reasonably that system is in some kind of supply demand equilibrium what about physical systems physical systems I the mean, thing is, we is... started with was yeah. something with multiple equilibrium states right so let me give you a totally different example of multiple equilibrium states there is a building which is standing up there is a earthquake it falls down Sure. Both of these states are in some sense equilibrium states. You know, yeah. the building standing up and the building falling down. Now, the causes of what caused this change one can discuss. But if you just take a phenomenological attitude, I don't worry about what caused what. It is perfectly fair to say there is a stable equilibrium. There is an equilibrium state, not fully stable. You know, the walls were crumbling or something, something. But it was a stable state, and there is a different stable state. So a building standing up is in a state of unstable equilibrium. No, I would say it's in a local stable equilibrium, but not sure. forever. You know, it, it's, sure. It's <laughs> no, so that is that notion of time scale. Yeah, it's yeah. in stable equilibrium for days, but not for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. May I yeah. may yeah. I interject? I mean, why do you think that the price of airplanes do because not? Because it is dictated by the makers and not by the buyers. Because it's not a free market. Because there's a duopoly, things of that sort. I mean, it's regulated. No, but the price that is set. Mm. You see, if they, if they don't set the price mm. such that demand and supply are matched, mm. it will not work. Because you see, look at the supply. what may happen is that the suppliers may be making a lot more profit than they could have mm. if the if there were more suppliers mm. that's a different matter altogether but you see if people were not you see suppose suppose the price of an aeroplane is a 1 million dollars right now in today's market exactly that many would be a made as would be sold because they won't make one more aircraft then what can be sold sometimes the you know the airplane maker is willing to make a supply but the government can say no you cannot sell this happens very often it's not a made up story no wait, so, so i'm saying that there are regulations there are some constraints in the system which don't allow yeah, yeah, the yeah, system yeah yeah but, but we are not talking about regulations at the moment right no constraints i would call them constraints which don't allow the system to Um, equally yeah, in the perhaps. For example, I mean, I, I just want to go back to physical systems because yeah. I mean, these are issues which are highly confounded. Mm. The yes. many reasons which make it difficult to analyze properly. But if we just think of physical systems yes. for a while, is it easy to look at a system and predict that this shall have equilibrium? Is is, is that an easy question to come at analytically? That what systems have equilibrium and what don't is 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 does that question have meaning no so for example take physical systems there is graphite and diamond okay now both of them are stable forms of carbon in some sense graphite is more stable than um, diamond and when you say more what do you mean uh, the free energy per unit volume is lower so thermodynamically if the diamond were to become graphite it will become at some rate the rate of reverse process is much much lower or it won't happen the chance of graphite becoming diamond is much lower than diamond becoming graphite i mean you talking graphite about graphite becoming diamond is much lower yeah that's correct mm. so mm. here is a system in which there are two stable states Mm-hmm. and the transition between them are slow but they can happen you know like if you change pressure do something then you can convert one to the other mm-hmm. and it you know so those are the agents mm-hmm. but then multiple stable states are there in mm-hmm. physical systems 
एंड दे डोंट बाय देमसेल्व्स ऑलवेज ट्रांसफॉर्म इनटू ईच अदर विद रीजनेबल रेट एंड इज इट पॉसिबल टू हैव स्टेबिलिटी फार फ्रॉम इक्विलिब्रियम यस ऑफ कोर्स सो फॉर एग्जांपल आई मीन टेक आई वुड से दैट अ ह्यूमन बीइंग इज क्वाइट अ स्टेबल सिस्टम इन द सेंस आई एक्सपेक्ट टू सी यू टुमारो बट इट इज सर्टेनली फार फ्रॉम इक्विलिब्रियम इट टेक्स लॉट ऑफ वर्क टू कीप द पर्सन लिविंग which we do you know we eat food <laughs> which provides us with the um, energy so certainly every living person is far from equilibrium system in the sense that if you let it by themselves they will die they will go into some state which is very really different as we need to interact with the in, in, and we are dependent on the environment is, is is that the sense in which you mean it what does that mean uh, I'm not very sure about what exactly it means because mm. you know an organism which is just by itself mm. essentially biologically speaking is nothing yeah mm. it's, okay. it's not an organism uh, yeah okay i mean it all depends on how exactly you end up defining the organism that's a philosophical question but sure. biologically speaking an organism which is not interacting which is not taking in energy mm. it is not being affected by anything else uh, you know you cannot even find such a, a single cell in a in water at a given time i can say it's alive or dead fair enough to that degree it is alive and i'm seeing a state of being alive requires uh, some effort and it requires some maintenance charges right. so okay so it's a system which is far from equilibrium a more physical state would yes one second will be something like a laser it's emitting light uh, it keeps on emitting you know so it is in some kind of equilibrium it's a dynamical equilibrium it is kept um, alive by current which is going through it but i mean a, a laser can't keep emitting a laser beam forever if you turn switch off the power immediately it'll go away no 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 so there is <laughs> some effort required to keep it in that state it's a stable state but it there is effort required to keep it there sure 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 tell me i think we'll go to a different place let's hmm. say avalanches hmm. um is it easy to predict when avalanches would happen no, what, when what happens like what, what is an avalanche to, to you as a as someone somebody who understands physics okay so avalanche is you know, something is at high in gravitational energy you know and it falls down that is an avalanche yeah sure okay so no no it's exactly that mm. when will it occur is much more difficult question and that's hard to predict the fact that if something is high up it can go down and that will lower its potential energy and it's a more stable state is what physics can easily tell without too much work Sure. When it will happen is a difficult question. Is that difficult or impossible? No, nothing. I would say impossible, but impossible in today's knowledge. Sure. <laughs> what is uh, what is the? I mean, are there are there avalanche-like events in biological systems, which which are? Yeah, population which is declining in size over time. but that's gradual i mean the avalanches of phase dinosaurs dying or you know this whole stuff is called one no but i think we just discussed that maybe meteorites just came and hit mm. or something exactly. something See, totally extraneous happened that is contingent hmm. we don't i don't think we are considering it in this uh, you know domain ah i see yeah so in that sense uh, avalanche it doesn't really need for you know some specific external event mm. to happen it will happen on its own uh yeah i mean some population crashes can be extremely rapid Mm-hmm. So you know you have a high population. In fact, the stuff that I do in my lab, mm-hmm. I have Drosophila populations which are like you know three hundred, four hundred in one generation and five or ten in the next generation. That fast a crash. And these are generational transitions happening in block. I mean, they just the entire population size mm-hmm. at time generation X is this much, and, and generation the following generation is just exactly. dramatically lower. Exactly. So yeah. how how rapid are these? I mean, do you have a kind of a the dynamics of this uh, I mean, do you have the math worked out yes of course and and that means that these uh, are discrete systems these are not the od kind of systems so so the, these convergence in other words can be quite quick actually hmm. they they're very fast actually. yes i agree uh, two or three iterations and you are bang into the okay i uh, what i said just now about uh, the drosophila stuff that is experimental Okay. So empirically, it can happen that fast. Model-wise, yes. Again, I have models which will converge in within you know ten, fifteen time steps or so. 
Right, right, so, right. Yes, I, they, they, if they, if they converge, they converge very quickly. Many of them do. The, uh-huh. Many, uh-huh. many of them. Right. Yes. Well, and that's that's what I have observed. In fact, I was thinking about the single organism. I was kind of trying to think of what would be a single organism in economics, right? What is it? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you know, we often talk about something called the Robinson Crusoe economy. Yes. Now, Robinson Crusoe in the island was a single organism. He was basically the farmer. He was the landlord. He was the timekeeper. He he was everything. Yeah. But still, he had to find out a way of doing things so that his energy was actually properly devoted. He had to hunt. He had to uh, sort of uh, go around protecting his own living quarters. But when this man Friday came, it didn't change. Now, why didn't it change? Because Friday was a slave. And so what Friday said or did didn't really matter. So it was just one person doing this. That would be the kind of thing. And that's not a very interesting thing to study, actually. So what so is in, interesting... In a, way, in a way, Friday coming into the scene, the number of agents still remained one. It still remained one. Yeah. So basically, if Friday and Robinson Crusoe were, were neither, neither, neither subservient to another, yeah. then immediately matters become completely different. Because then there will be conflict of interest, even with this very elementary example. In fact, after all, if you look at any exchange, it's after all made up of only two, two, two agents, a buyer and a seller. And then, of course, you can build on that. You can bring in the creditor in the example that you were talking about a little while ago. Yeah. Because that is where something very interesting yeah, well, happens. Yeah, the creditor would create a lot of other problems. You see, for one thing, I've been very careful with... Shutit was actually he was talking about a stochastic process. We haven't talked about anything stochastic. You see, I think basically the problem arises here in economics, which mm-hmm. is a significant departure, mm-hmm. which is that as soon as you bring in, if I'm planning for tomorrow, what is it that makes it difficult? Is that I don't know tomorrow. Yeah. I can assume that tomorrow would be something like today, but there may be shocks and changes which I am not aware of. Yeah. Or if tomorrow is not really just the next day, but tomorrow is next year, let's say, then you immediately realize that things are really a lot more difficult. And then the complications in economics multiply. Which is why people don't often talk about things which are stochastic. Yeah, yeah. Stochastic yeah. things are not. But if you really want to bring in stochastic stuff, it immediately the level of complications that arise. We have to talk about what is it that people forecast. Mm-hmm. How do you forecast? I mm-hmm. mean, what do you expect? What I expect? Mm-hmm. I may be a no. Pessimist. You may be an optimist. You may think that, well, everything would be fine tomorrow. I think everything tomorrow is a disaster. Sure. So basically, there is, are other things. That is there something to... which is the equivalent of credit in biological systems at all? Not no. so sure. Probably mm. not. Mm. And you started off by saying that all biological systems are stochastic. Is, is, is that... Uh, okay, uh, there is are that... degrees. degrees. So for mm. example... You know, think of, let's say, a cell which is sitting inside the body of an organism. Yeah. So it's, you know, and let's assume for the sake of simplicity that this is a homeotherm which is controlling its temperature and all. So this cell is in an environment which is a lot more controlled. Yeah. And therefore, if you study certain aspects of the dynamics, whatever aspects of that might be, they will be lot less variable than let's say the dynamics of a population which is exposed to millions of things in the environment and so on. However, even then, inside the cell, there will be some degree of noise or the other. There is hardly anything which is completely non-stochastic in biology. 
That's a, probably a fair claim. No, no. In mm. fact, that experiment with Drosophila, mm. if you do it 15 times, mm. you'll get 15 different results. Of course. So that that's your stochastic thing coming yes. in, right? Yes. I mean, and that's your noise. Exactly, exactly. And that is why I have to take a mean and I have to consider right. the variance right. around that and so on. And that's are there other, other, sorry, please go No, ahead. no. No, that's why I think we basically think in terms of averages yes. and, and not talk about these other complications. Are there chaotic Realizing biological systems? Chaotic? Yes, chaotic. Chaotic. I mean, look at the brain data. You know, or look at, for example, the cardiac data. Under certain circumstances, all this data can be chaotic. And when I say mm. chaotic, I mean in the technical sense. Mm. You know, mm. po positive life of exponents. Mm. So, mm. yeah. And mm. even population dynamics data, people have shown that some of them can be chaotic. Mm. 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 And and we go back to the question we were discussing maybe 10-20 minutes ago. Hmm. Even excluding agents like human beings, there are biological systems that are wildly fluctuating. Yes. All the time. Yes. And and is instability unavoidable? Are, are there I mean, sure. Do you know what I mean? Are there systems which are more or less stable? See, there lies a whole point. Mm. And again, yeah. not calling it desirable or otherwise, no, no. but yeah, no. just asking it as a fact of matter. Fair enough. See, the moment I say that in biology, the concept of a point equilibrium is not very useful, mm. you essentially go towards so what how are much these? of... Like, point equilibrium as in... I, I get it. Huh. So a crisp position. Or On a crisp what? value. Huh. Say, uh, 100 individuals in my population. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the equilibrium size. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I'm never going to get 100. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get something more. I'm going to get something less. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, in biology, the concept of stability, which is essentially talking about how much of variation is there in my system, is a lot more important. Now, the moment you say that are there stable systems versus instable systems or unstable systems in biology. Yeah, that could the, be the other way to put it. The translation is, are there systems which have large variance versus are there systems which have small variance in biology? And the answer is yes. It depends on what is it that you are looking for mm. and what is it that you are comparing to. Mm. See, the moment you come out of the notion of a point equilibrium, mm. stability becomes a relative concept. Yeah. Something is more stable relation to something else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So in that sense, the question, you know, are there stable systems or are there unstable systems kind of, the question resolves itself. Yeah. It's yeah. all about the degrees of variation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for example, forest fires, right? It's so interesting. Hmm. So even if there was no human being living there, could it, just, happen. it, it happens. Yes. So forest fire is a naturally occurring yes. thing. Yes. So are pest outbreaks. So are pest outbreaks. Yes. And it does not necessarily lead to extinctions of species or... Sometimes it does, sometimes destruction it does of, not. Uh, mm, mm. Yeah, so sometimes what happens is that the fire, it ends up playing a constructive role because there are some seeds which mm. will only germinate when they have gone through, you know, when they are in the soil which has been exposed to high temperature. Right. <laughs> right, so you take out fire, those guys are gone. Lots of dead wood. Mm. So, if you don't have fire, then those dead woods don't get cleared. Mm. Until and unless that dead wood gets cleared, other species cannot grow in that area. So, let's ask the ecological question. Is Should we think of nature in the balance of nature sense? Um, that What's the best way to conceive of things? Because, of course, there's, you know, one talks of ecology in, in manners and, and, you know, the intuition can vary. Mm. Um, what's happening there? What's happening in the way you conceive ecological systems? Right. See, balance of nature was a somewhat dominant view, at least as far as ecosystems were concerned, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And that actually led to two somewhat opposing positions on how human beings should be interacting with nature. Uh -huh. On one hand, if you assume that the balance is strong, then you take the position that, okay, whatever we do to the nature, as long as we give it enough time, it will come back to its original state. And, you know, which gives us the license to do whatever we want. Sure. We now know that that's not true. So then you have the other opposing side, which is the balance is fragile. So let's be very, very careful about it. Let's not do too much. And, you know, let's preserve things the way they are. Mm. 
and uh, again we have figured out through our experience in conservation biology that that's also not a good position because so many <laughs> things will end up happening i mean if for example you prevent forest fires you completely change the nature of the community after some time right okay. right right you you know prevent the uh, you know herbivores from dying and uh, very soon they are going to eat away all the grasses and uh, then the entire ecosystem might end up collapsing so what's the best course of action therefore for the last 15 20 years or so the dominant view in conservation biology and much of ecosystem ecology is that probably some amount of very careful and very you know to the extent possible based on existing knowledge perturbations mm-hmm. to make sure that things are roughly okay and what probably what was the example way. of a perturbation be so for example let's say you go to an area and you find that the number of herbivores have gone up drastically mm-hmm. and there aren't enough carnivores which are going to bring it back mm-hmm. kill a few herbivores mm-hmm. simple <laughs> okay mm-hmm. or for example you know you have gone to an area and you find that uh, there is no water source in that area mm-hmm. and lots of organisms are dying create a water source maybe it will cause some problems maybe some species will go extend somewhere mm-hmm. but, you know it might end up solving other problems Mm. So some degree but these are tentative careful that, minor ha that so these are not wholesale whole. major churn the ocean up kind of solutions ha that mm. is the whole point mm. see balance of nature which mm. presupposes a nice point equilibrium mm. presupposes that we scientists should be able to figure out what that equilibrium is and then to have these awesome <laughs> solutions to go there okay whereas this tentativeness that now i'm talking about the mm. non equilibrium nature of ecological systems tells mm. us that you know there isn't any equilibrium mm. it's not ecological nihilism which lots of people also tend to there isn't uh, an equilibrium there isn't an equilibrium but that doesn't mean that you know there is no interaction Yeah there are interactions yeah. things can be predicted yeah but okay. there could be many local equilibria exactly. as opposed to one global equilibrium exactly right. there can be many local interactions there can be many local states mm. okay N- none of them being more desirable or less desirable than the other mm. Hmm. could it be that when you say that there isn't an equilibrium you mean that you don't know what the equilibrium is like possible and yeah. therefore by these interventions you are trying to see whether these are experiments ex- experiments exactly. to get to an equilibrium exactly exactly see the problem with an equilibrium is that an equilibrium comes from a model by itself an equilibrium does not exist right at, at least in the context of such complex systems therefore what we can really think of is that okay to my understanding this is the state in which this system will probably be able to sustain itself for some time let me try and see whether i can keep it in this state or somewhere close by that's about it that's the best that we are thinking of equilibrium in fact there are several people mm-hmm. who in you know in this institute of santa fe mm-hmm. yeah. they 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 study uh, things like these yes. that uh, whether or not you get to or why is it that certain civilizations ah. sort of went up for some year stayed there didn't seem to be any challenge cryodynamics but, huh, huh. and then what wh- what happened to yes, it yes yes <laughs> uh, there are lots of examples from indian history for example look at chandragupta maurya for example why did he he ruled practically an area which is bigger than the geographical area of india today hmm. and then what happened why did he have to lose it may it, I mean, it may or it may not have anything to do with the notion of equilibrium right? incidentally the hmm. models which are used in these kind of studies hmm. a lot of them are either directly borrowed from population dynamics models exactly. or have very close relationship with the population dynamics models and then, and, and you and you treat them to be reasonably legitimate attempts at The historians treat them to be reasonably <laughs> legitimate attempts. <laughs> Pass the mark to the historians. Yeah, they made it right. Well, you know, the, you, you know, you know what no, ends up happening. No, maybe the historians you, don't do it. Though. <laughs> you end up carrying differential equations. <laughs> carrying. Actually, there are both uh, schools. Yeah, there are some historians schools. who like it. Some, some historians who completely hate. Carrying it. differential equations to analyze and explain history is. What are the open questions, Deepak? So I would I would just like to add one comment about what we are already discussing. Please. And that is like, so if you take the position that right now I feel that tomorrow I have three different options to do, 
-hmm. And so whatever I choose to do will lead to some kind of an equilibrium state and I select out of the states available to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. All the different agents... And when you say it will lead to an equilibrium state... Will lead to something which is not so different from other things except that I like one of them more. So all these different agents interacting, they are all working in some environment which will lead to some some state which I will continue to call equilibrium state which will keep on changing because the agents keep on changing their choices. So the idea is that you don't need to invoke some ideal equilibrium point in order to discuss equilibrium in practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you, there are lots of agents, they make their preferences, they make their choices and you know, the system keeps on evolving. Mm-hmm. If the evolution is roughly from an outsider's point of view, I don't care, it looks the same. Then it is local change which is somewhat stable. After some time it may happen, it crashes to a totally different equilibrium, then we keep on describing that way. Mm. So Mm. my definition of equilibrium is much more experimental. Whatever happens is equilibrium at that time scale. It's tautological, but it is much less prone to um, philosophical conundrums. It doesn't cause any problems. And and your position is not that because it's an easier position. You believe it's... uh, It avoids a lot of conceptual confusions. Mm -hmm. So for example, let me just quote... uh, quotation I read from this French Revolution the more things change the more they remain the same yeah you can ask what does it mean yeah <laughs> it sounds correct <laughs> and it is correct mm. because more things change means they change fluctuations at some level and if I take an outsider's view where those, those fluctuations don't matter then it looks the same yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just a question of perspective. If if I look not at, if you're getting beheaded in the French Revolution. Uh, no. So if I look at you know one particular species of um, flies or something, then it has gone catastrophic uh, extinction. Yeah. But the whole ecosystem hasn't done anything. You know, it looks the same today as yesterday. <laughs> so I think yeah. some of these questions of stability also involve your choice of what variables you are looking at. And maybe the system is going through minor changes in equilibrium states as opposed to undergoing catastrophes all the time. So if you think of the earth, and of course anything that you do is some sort of reductionism and it's always risky, is it likely that there's one global equilibrium, no pun intended, for the level of earth and for all sorts of changes happening? There's one property which obviously we haven't isolated yet. Which no, I don't at, think so. You don't think so, which is exactly I, the opposite yeah, of what you're saying. It is mm. a class of states through which it keeps on evolving. Mm. If I choose to call it mm, very similar, I don't want to distinguish between them, then of course it stays in one of those. Mm. Mm. Otherwise, you can distinguish. You know, like if all the human beings were to die, I don't know if other people will notice so much. <laughs> well, I'm sure with human beings they will. <laughs> Lots of organisms will notice that we are dead. No, no, They'll no, be very no. happy about if, if, if all the human beings were to die, hmm. uh, is is that an ecological event at all? Is that a geological event? Well, that's an event. Like dinosaurs sure. died, no? Ecological or not? No, some species, very major ones and big classes of things, have died, and the world has gone on. So, for example, and if we were to look at, let's say, island ecologies or whatever, mm-hmm. right, one has to figure out some way of boxing something. Um, is it likely that the extinction of one species kills the ecosystem? It depends on what species the ecosystem, it is. But has it happened? Yeah, there are these things known as keystone species. That's a mm-hmm. concept in ecology. Sure. That certain species are a lot more important for the... You know, so one is a lot ecosystem. more, so that's mm. gradual, more than the other. But no, no, mm. a lot more important than what is suggested by their numerical abundance. So take, for example, you take out all the grass from a grassland. Yeah. The ecosystem collapses. Yeah. But then the grass is the most abundant thing in an ecosystem. So it is a no-brainer, right? Yeah. But let's say you have, uh, let's say you take out the pollinators from a system. Yeah. Okay. If you take out the pollinators, they are not very large in number. Yeah. But... You take them out, and in certain cases, the ecosystem can collapse. Is are human beings keystone species? No, we are extremely abundant. <laughs> <laughs> no, but our contribution relative to our abundance. Uh, we see the point is certain kinds of ecosystems are dependent on human beings to exist. So, for example, the agricultural field is uh, an ecosystem. 
That's fine. Hmm. That's fine. But so for for the earth. Hmm. For earth are human beings keystone species? No. No way. No way. No, no way. way. No way. No way. the earth will be very happy if we are dead i guess um, in fact probably it would be no, better I, 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 yeah. if we didn't exist we are doing a lot of things to damage it exactly the species diversity will go up for sure <laughs> absolutely yeah i'm being one of them and i don't know what the rest of the earth thinks i think we have our perspective in our perspective human beings dying would be a very bad thing and i don't know what other species would things you Take know so they, they might they might clap that. they might clap no, and they go they might they might, might get not, a standing ovation no i understand <laughs> but you know i am saying that something will start go on but certainly if you, if you watch all these horror movies hmm. that is what happens when there is a nuclear war hmm. and then the kinds of things that well, they're not humans that mm-hmm. exist thereafter yeah. so the human beings as a species that's quite deadly actually yeah that is not good for so but it's not clear whether the state of the globe or earth is because of the nuclear war i mean so maybe that that has been something else it's not really the yeah, extinction yeah, yeah. of the human species no, that's great i think about. i think that's a good note to end this on somewhat somber somewhat humbling and fun so i think we look forward to having you soon again thanks for making thank it thank you yeah, thank that you. was great thank, thank you thank you it's thank been you. enjoyable